Austin, drug addict. Hey, Austin. Hey, Austin. Let me just get a timer going. <clears throat> so, um, you know, uh, my sponsor called me and I was at the gym and he's like, you got to share in the meeting tonight. We had an issue with the other speaker and they're not going to make it. And, you know, the addict brain or the addict mind of myself would have been like, oh, like lie to him and tell him that I have work or say, you know, make any excuse that why I couldn't be here. But um, he just reminded me that this is what we do, you know, no matter um, no matter what it is to me and if I'm nervous or if I'm not. Um, there's always someone that can get something maybe little, maybe big out of a share. So um, to start it off, uh, I'm from the Central Valley. Um, a lot of people don't know where this is. So I say in between Fresno and Bakersfield, California, there's not a lot out there. There's only about, there's only dirt bikes and meth out there. So it's not a really happy place to be. Um, but I grew up on a dairy farm, which was kind of cool because I got to start driving and doing things around like six, seven years old. And, you know, my grandfather, um, his father um, moved here from Italy and started from nothing and built something. And, um, you know, I look at my grandfather as a good inspiration on, you know, hard work really paid off. And the, the sad part is, is I didn't get to see my grandfather a lot because him and my father had consistent issues. Um, you never want to mix family and business. It usually doesn't work out at all. And, you know, growing up, uh, my parents like split up when I was like a couple years old. My dad went and cheated on my mom and had an illegitimate child. Or I have a sister that I've never met, never known, don't know what she looks like, nothing like that. And um, being an only child as well, it kind of sucks when your parents get divorced, you know, and then you're an only child. You don't have a lot of people to turn to. Um, and I guess that's where I found my first addiction at a very young age. Um, my dad... Um, didn't get to live out his uh, his dream of being a baseball player. He was a really good baseball player and got a scholarship to Cal Poly. But my grandfather didn't let him go to that scholarship because he had to stay on the farm and work. And so, you know, the time that my dad was in my life was for me to play sports and to be good at sports. And he made sure he spent, you know, as much money as possible. He started travel teams. I mean, I got to I got to travel the world at nine, 10 years old, 11 years old, um, some of the things that no one ever gets to do. So I, I'm very blessed about that. Um, but, you know, in my addiction, baseball was everything or football. It's what I identified with, you know, that was me. No one else knew me as Austin and I didn't know myself. And as I got older, you know, my dad kind of got harder and harder on me. And, uh, you know, he never beat me or anything. It was more mental abuse. But as going through, we all go through rehab and these therapists want to dig up certain things about us. And, you know, had one therapist tell me I had daddy issues. So, so be it. <laughs> but, you know, I, I look at, uh, you know, a good friend of mine told me that, you know, I can look at my dad for what he is. You know, we're all flawed humans and you know, um, I, I've forgiven him and uh, our relationship is on the steady incline today. But some of the th crazier things that he did to me was I remember one time that I, I was about 11 years old and I was really like 
you know, I was traveling every weekend. I didn't have a normal childhood in the sense where I wasn't able to like make friends and hang out with them on the weekend because I was always gone to Northern Cal, SoCal, Utah, Colorado to play baseball. And, you know, it made me really sad. But what I did have was the brothers that were on my baseball team. And I believe that sports like really instilled um, some key like life lessons and stuff um, that would later translate to the later days. Um, and, you know, I didn't want to go to practice one day. I wanted to quit. And I'm thankful that my dad taught me that quitting is probably one of the worst things you can ever do in life. But we lived out, our house was surrounded by a cornfield. And I knew that he probably couldn't find me if I just dipped out into the cornfield. But uh, he was a little on the crazy side and he was probably drinking. And he started mowing down the corn in his truck, chasing me to make sure I got to practice. But around that time, um, I started being introduced, you know, to alcohol and drugs. And it wasn't until like later in life I understood what I was seeing, but you know, those ACDC CD cases with a bunch of white like smears all over them. I'm like, oh, now I get what he was doing, you know? But as a kid, it, it was just another day. But I took my first drink of alcohol when I was eight years old. I was, uh, I was planning to pitch or I was pitching for the World Series in Cooperstown, New York. And I was really nervous and my dad was like, you know, when you get nervous, you tend to rush and you don't pitch as well. Your balls sell higher. You try to overthrow. So what does he do? He hands me a Heineken and tells me to pound it. Pitch one of the best games of my life, you know. <laughs> so that's where, like, I can consciously, like, remember where drugs and alcohol and mind-altering substances gave me something that I didn't, that I didn't think I had in myself. And... Progressing through high school, you know, my dad was the type of dad that when I was 14, since my parents were split, you know, uh, my mom was the high school principal of the high school across town from us. So I'd go stay with my dad on the weekends because he was cool and I didn't have a curfew and then I'd go back when I needed the structure and discipline from my mother. And, another, you know, the kind of dad he was, he was more of like a friend. I mean, the first time that uh, me and my friend wanted to go hang out with these girls that had their house to themselves. What's he do? He hands us a couple of shots of tequila and breaks up a half a pill. Ends up being a Cialis. We didn't know till about 15 minutes on the bike ride over, you know. But that, that's just some of the, you know. <laughs> it's good, Dad. But, you know. Although he was a friend to me, um, I've had to do like a lot of searching and understand and forgiveness um, because he is my dad and, you know, you only got one dad. And I've heard a lot of people share about losing parents and stuff. So this time in sobriety, there's been other stints of sobriety. This is my fifth time trying to get sober. Don't recommend it. Get it on your first or second try. Um, the first four times I tried to get sober, I didn't really address my dad and i think that's what was a, a piece in continually taking me out because i grew up with you know my dad not really in my life my grandfather was busy with work and stuff like that and those are the two people that i sought their validation like and i never got it they weren't the i love you or the good job you know i could do 
whatever in a football or baseball game, and they'd always point out the negatives. You know, it was never the positives. So I was, I was really beat up about that as a kid. And as I got into high school and got, it old, got older, I started to like wonder why, you know, if they didn't love me or, you know, what, what could I do to, you know, get their approval? And obviously drug addict in me did it the wrong ways. Like in high school, I remember like wanting to be the jack of all trades. I wanted to be the good athlete, the good um, student, and but I was also selling drugs to everyone in the school, you know. I wanted to play all those roles and play them well. So where my opiate addiction, heroin addiction, and everything started to take off, um, I ended up um, playing well enough my junior and senior year um, and getting a scholarship to play baseball. And I arrived at this beautiful college that I loved and loved playing baseball. I was so happy. And we were playing fall ball, and I ended up blowing out my elbow for the third time and going to the doctor and them telling me that the nerve damage and scar tissue in my elbow was so bad that I would never play again, you know? And uh, that's probably one of the biggest regrets I have in my life is not going out and trying, just listening to the doctors and just kind of giving up. Um, and I, I still think about that a lot today, but losing baseball and then Doctors prescribed me a lot of oxys and hanging around probably not the best people. I started learning how to smoke and snort my oxys and heroin followed pretty quickly. And that's been the last five years of my life. Going to detox, going to treatment, get six months, nine months. And to be honest with you, um, using sucks when you know the solution and you know what's right and what's wrong. It kind of is like, my friend over here likes to say spiritual Narcan. I, um, <laughs> I, uh, I really didn't know what to do with myself after baseball. I didn't know who I was, still figuring that out to this day. And I just know that um, what sobriety has given me today is the sense that I don't, my mom doesn't have to worry if I'm gonna wake up tomorrow. And I've put that woman who's been the rock for me, who had a, you know, what my dad did to her and everything like that. She's like the strongest person I know. And she kept seeking education, got her master's, got her PhD and kept going, even though all the crap that the crap hand that she was dealt. And I'm, I'm just tired of disappointing her and disappointing others and not being able to show up. And, um, this last time was the first time in treatment where I, I wasn't like forced. I, I remember the night vividly um, before I drove myself to detox. Um, I, I was smoking fentanyl and I, I couldn't even like look at myself in the mirror. I'd brush my teeth with my head down and you know, it, it wasn't a good sight. And I, I think that's what the desperation that I needed to um, go into a program and actually seek the solution that works for me. And um, I was just planning on going to detox. I ended up saying, okay, I'll go to residential. It ended up being a Christian fellowship or a Christian-based program. And um, that's just how, you know, the God of my understanding works. 
he, he put me in the right program when I needed it because I was, I was spiritually broken. I, um, ever since I had lost baseball, lost my sense of purpose, I, I feel like I have this hole in my soul that I use drugs and alcohol to fill. And, you know, I remember walking down day one to this residential facility and it was not the nicest place compared to the other places I had been. And I started talking to the guys and getting into the routine. And this one guy, his name was Edward, he came up to me and he's like, hey, we do a Bible study every morning. Why don't you come? And I remember coming to that Bible study the next day and I opened the Bible for the first time in my life. And he asked me if I could read a passage or read after we were popcorn reading. And I remember just tears coming down my eyes as I was actually hearing myself speak the biblical text. And from then on out, I've kind of had a hard on for spirituality and religion because that's, that's what I feel like is going to work for me and be like the key to long-term sobriety for me because by process of elimination, I've tried everything else. Uh, I've done different types, refuge recovery, this type of recovery, um, and none of it worked. I still, you know, I'd get these periods of sobriety, nine months, 14 months, and I'd have the good job, I'd have this, I'd have that, but I was still so, so miserable. And um, it, it was because I wasn't working a spiritual program. And my sponsor likes to remind me that the, the 12 steps are like this pathway to, to make you become aware and awake of what God has done and has been doing recently in your life. And I can look back at the last three months of my life and I can give a hundred different things or a hundred different people that have been brought into my life that have changed me so much. I mean, I've, I've met a lifelong friend that I've known for three months that we come from opposite walks of life, opposite backgrounds, um, and we just work so well together. And, you know, going through recovery, you know, we talk about the fellowship and meeting people and being around people because, you know, we stay sober. There's not an I statement in any of those steps. And, you know, I got baptized. I go to church. I got, I, I, I followed direction. You know, I, I know this is like really repetitive in the sense that they say, okay, get a sponsor, do what they say. But, you know, and I was always the person who's like, fuck them. I don't want to do that shit. What's a fourth step? But it honestly has given me like peace and serenity in a life that I never thought that I could have. And I don't have a lot of time right now, but I can say in three months, I've rebuilt more of my life than I ever did in any of those other terms of sobriety when I had nine months and 14 months. And I think that's because the approach of rigorous honesty and learning to be aware when I'm feeling discontent, restless or irritable um, has, has really changed and really made my perception of life a lot different because as an athlete and that being my whole life, I kind of had some fucked up glasses that I was viewing the world from. There was only wins and losses and, you know, that can, that can set you up for self-sabotage. And um, other than that, that's all I got. So thank you.